Hey, hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, takes to the ether, this time from the salubrious confines of the Fortress of Proofcast. And now you get an idea of what the Fortress actually looks like. There's a gigantic Rex Ray, there's glowing balls, and they're not just mine. Kittens is over here in the corner, a small camel. I've moved to an aquarium. There's also a Moroccan lamp over there that I got in Morocco. So, fuck you. I love you, darlings. It's so nice to see you again. And it's so nice to be able to do a live podcast. Can you hear the music? I planned on uh, doing a very distracting, relaxing, groovy, uh, Marianne Williamson uh, quack medicine type of show tonight. But I've decided uh, that you might be hearing helicopters and police sirens all around because the fortress is located in Lower California. And uh, we're having a situation here, like every other city in the United States. It would be silly not to address it and have a helicopter fly directly over the house, which they so often do. Uh, but in any case, we're in each other's company now. So uh, pour one down and light one up. And Lakes take some songs in each other's hearts during this torn and broken world and see if we can dig it to dig it. You dig it? Exactly what your soul needs right this second. Um, wow, what an amazing week. Let's skip it and go right to the good part. Jimmy Cobb uh, played in everyone's band of note in the history of jazz. Um, Sarah Vaughn, Billy Holiday, uh, he started as a teenager and got plucked up when Philly Joe Jones was having a little problem with drugs. Uh, I believe it was Cannonball Adderley who brought him into the Miles Davis sextet for an album in 1959 called Kind of Blue. Now, what's so interesting about it is it's kind of the most, maybe next to Brubeck, one of the most popular jazz albums of all time. And it was recorded in nine hours over two days. Everything in one take. How about those apples? You know, Dizzy and uh, Bird had been laying down the bop and the hard bop. I expect you were. And uh, uh, this was a, a different kind of jazz, a little less chord, a little more modal. Um, everything was improvised and put down at the moment. And Jimmy said that Miles said to him things like, let's, well, I'll do Miles Davis accent. It'll make it funner for you. Let's make this one all floaty. And so uh, they did it on their own. They were not given that much guidance. And I'm going to play you uh, the first uh, the first track here because it's just not the right album. I'm all on my own here. I'm trying to do two things at once. I am. Okay, hang on. Everybody cool it. I teed it up so hard. And then I. Right. This is the kind of amateurish bullshit that you're used to for me. Here we go. Uh, let's just start with the first record because it's so good. 
Uh, so what? First cut. Yeah, the first the first cut on this album. I hope you can hear it. If you're cool, this might be a time to get completely cooler. <laughs> Jimmy Cobb's the drummer. John Coltrane on saxophone. Uh, Wynton Kelly on keyboards. Paul Chambers. Uh, Gil Evans, who else? Paul Chambers. Paul Chambers on bass. When Miles starts his solo, Jimmy hits the cymbal so hard. Loud as the fucker goes, asshole. I could have amped more. I forgot there was so much bass at the beginning. That's because I lost myself in the music. Unlike the Leonard Skinner fans are yelling louder and shit. Here we go. That's drum drop that he does there. Crashes Miles' first note on the album. And he said at the time when he did it, he was like, oh, shit. And then Herbie Hancock, who was also in Miles' uh, group later on, came up and said, that's my favorite thing on the album. Uh, he got $1,500, what was it? $150, $150. They got Union Scale. So before they could go on the road with this configuration, which is all have their own bands and are all legendary in their own life, this part of the story is where everything gets really real. Miles had the shit beat out of him by two cops in front of a club in New York uh, a couple months after they made the record. Inside of Birdland. Outside of Birdland, he was uh, escorting a white woman to a taxi, is one story. One of the cops appeared to be wildly drunk. They took away his cabaret card, which was an important thing in the 50s, uh, in order to play in nightclubs and stuff. And so uh, this group never really did this album on their own. Uh, years later, they did a remix of it, and uh, Jimmy was given a copy, and he was pretty excited to hear it again. And he brought it over to Miles' apartment, and Miles said, Put it under the door, man. I ain't answering the door. And, and Jimmy Cobb went, No. And left. Uh, the charges were uh, uh, brought up against Miles Davis, not against the policeman. And uh, they, uh, they eventually reformed in another configuration with Jimmy uh, Cobb. Uh, and he said, Miles was very cool about it, like giving no direction or whatever, but he said, He would say things and you'd have to come back on them, right? Because he was. Uh, had a big personality. They were listening to Wynton play piano, and Miles Trinder was like, I wish I could swing like Wynton. And Jimmy Cobb was the kid in the band, went, I did too, Miles. <laughs> and he was like, mm. Anyway, if you don't like jazz, you should, and this is why. And if you like jazz, then you already love this. And you see the glow come toward my face. The glow being consumed in the glory of classical music invented by black people using European instruments. That's chain swinging. Jimmy Cobb is not just swirling in the heavens. He made it to 91 and he didn't do drugs. And he had a message for the kids. Don't do the stuff that hurts you. Um, I'll drink to that. 
What did his wife say? Oh yeah, that everyone should know a Jimmy Cobb. Well, what happened? We have not. We have not. Can you still hear me, people? Technical difficulties. Alright, try it again. There's my hand. Sorry. I'm back from the ether. Wow. You should have seen what I saw on the other side of that, man. Chain was soloing. I, I had a hit. You know, the next thing I knew, I was upside down in an incontrutable world of, of delight and desire. It was as if a thousand uh, turtles with suede on their back were carrying me down a staircase made of promises and the winks and nods of small cabbage moths. It was like floating upwards on a, on a stream of Kool-Aid toward a castle made of mint, where once you got inside, the cooling effects got down to the very synapse level of your soul. And every time you experienced joy or gaiety, laughter or ecstasy, every membrane in your body vibrated like an oscillating cosine, like a caterpillar in a warm breeze. That's what it was like for me. I don't know if you guys were panicked or what, but I was holding tough on the other side of that shit. It takes more than one technical difficulty during a pandemic to fuck the proof dog up. I've played Raleigh, North Carolina. I've had sound guys destroy half of my show. I've had sound guys ignore everything I said to them and then afterward go, was I supposed to do that? I had a guy, my favorite one was Oslo. I gave the guy a CD. I said, do you speak English? And he went, yes. And I went, I'm asking you for real. Do you speak English? Do you understand what I'm saying? And he said, I do. And I said, all right, then I'm going to give you this CD. And on it in giant letters, it said pre-show. And then the other show said the show. So I come downstairs before the show started and there's no music at all. And I went over to him and I said, why aren't you playing the one that says pre-show? And he goes, was I supposed to play that before the show? He said later he was on drugs. And then at the end of the show, he missed every cue, which was fantastic, made the show better. And, uh, he came up to me and he went, I'm sorry, that's the second worst show I've ever done. And I was like, what was the first? Did you burn the building down? Because you didn't get anything right. It was just great. What did you say, Jennifer? I'm sorry. He told us he was wasted. Oh, yeah, he was, he was tanked. It was Oslo and it was during a comedy festival. So he was drunk. And I asked for vodka. I asked for a vodka and a water. And the guy who was running the gig gave me a big glass that was just like vodka. And I drank it. And I was like, what is this? And he went, I thought you said you wanted a vodka and water. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think anyone's ever ordered a vodka and water. It's like ordering a beer with a cigarette butt in it. <laughs> Could I have a beer with a cigarette butt in it now? So that later in the party when I pick mine up and think it's that one, I can just get this over with. Um, and then there was a guy in Amsterdam. And Jennifer was talking to him before the show and said, you need to play this song to open. And the guy went... You're making me nervous. <laughs> then, so, you know, pandemics come and pandemics go. Let's be honest. <laughs> so one little glitch, and I do call it a glitch. Oh, I want you to see this. You might have seen it before if you visited me on the Nowhere Comedy Club. This is my bucket from the Porpoise of Fruititude here. Let me just pluck out a, a delicate cube. My manager, who's a very, very wealthy man, uh, gave me this, this, these Tiffany uh, ice tongs, which, as you can see, to me, look like chicken claws. <laughs> and then you put it 
Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, Jennifer, what's the name of this woman who does these fabulous masks? Oh, those are from the House of Wu. House of Wu, downtown L.A. Yeah, Wu. These are Kittens McTavish approved, although I'm not letting Kittens have as big a part in this show because it's the first one back and I want to hug the stage more. And I'm tired of that pansexual cat never, ever coming up with a gender pronoun or anything funny to support the show. <sighs> Harsh. Right? Harsh but fair. Um, I wanted to share some gifts with you that I got um, because um, we couldn't really give them in person tonight. Uh, this was from uh, Tina Quilterina. Quilterina Tina. She did some masks for us, too. And these stickers came with it. Yeah, and they're, they're delightful. Collect them, trade them, get the whole set of one. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, we've discussed on the show that we got um, uh, 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 lemons and uh, babka and uh, wine. Oh, yeah, our neighbors are really nice. Our neighbors are nice. Here's one, it's a classic from 2014. Uh, we went to Hawaii that year for the Maui uh, we did Stockholm and then we flew back to LA and then we got on a plane the next day and went to Hawaii. That's what the old days were like before. Before all of this, my darling, when we stood inside our houses quaking and fearing that bricks were going to fly through the window and there was no toilet paper left at the target. <laughs> you know, there was a time when we had things like school and we'd go to it when we were kids. <laughs> I remember fighting over the last avocado here at the Gelson's. It was just me and a, a group of Latvians who'd rolled by on their, on their hoverboards. Well, anyway, we used to fly to Hawaii. And when we did, and we will again, when we did fly to Hawaii, um, although now when we fly to Hawaii, it's going to be awesome because there's not going to be anyone next to you. You know what I'm saying? We were in economy on this trip. This was a, a hilarious festival. It was great. Uh, a lot of good comics, too. Was um, was Tig there? Also, now the governor will have you arrested. Right. If you fly to Hawaii. Hawaii this week, the governor of Hawaii will have you arrested. Anyone who's just showing up as a tourist with, like, flip-flops and, a, you know, and cutoffs and, like, hey, dude, where's the fucking beach, man? Um, you're arrested. You don't even get to go to Hawaii right now. She's being awesome. She's being, like, the, uh, the president of Taiwan or any number of presidents and prime ministers who are actually responsible, sane human beings and not bizarre, demented, Adderall infested dementia riddled Nazis named Mango Mussolini and Benito Cheeto. The point is we flew to Hawaii and it was called the first annual Maui Comedy Festival. And I said to Paul, who was running it, I said, Paul, I don't mean to be a stickler or a sticker, stickleback, uh, although often I am an endangered species of fish who lives in a river that only exists in your mind. I said to him, Paul, I said, Paul, um, it can't be annual until you have two. <laughs> This is the inaugural comedy festival. Then next year, when we have the next one, never happened. Never happened. We didn't get any money. We got um, we got a bucket of pot and some praise. But it was and strong pot. It was really strong pot. Uh, I, in fact, I have the drug dealer's card still, which I almost brought in to show you, but it has his phone number on it. Um, his name was Ted, and he showed up backstage with what can only be described as um, the bag that Kevin Costner carries in The Postman, and... He, uh, it was full of rolled joints of Maui Waui. And I mean joints, like good, like this big. They were as big as this. They were big. And, uh, he says, uh, uh, I go, uh, he, he goes, um, I just, you know, I don't want any money. I just really like comedy. And I go, well, that's awesome. What, what should we do here? And he goes, 
take as many as you want. And I was like, you didn't know who you're dealing with. <laughs> uh, Tommy Chong is my spirit munchak, okay? So, right? This is Tommy Chong, the spirit munchak, right there. So, and uh, I got glaucoma, uh, like a bad MF, right? As Freewheeling Franklin says in the Furry Freak Brothers, I need a, a, a bottle of iodine and 300 ampules of butyl nitrate. And the pharmacist says, why? And he goes, I got a fuck of a case of angina. So we were playing at the Maui Waui Kami Festival. And they, it was one of those festivals where it was like overly organized, but nothing was happening because it was Hawaii. So the venues were hilarious. And we played this restaurant in Lahaina. Where the sugar can grow in Lahaina. The living is slow in Lahaina. The mango is sweet, but the centipede walk all over your feet. That's right, Loggins and Messina, the full sale album. We just oh, went yacht rock on God. you. Boom, pow. Um, oh, I'll do a Steely Dan before the fucking no. night is over. Yes, I will. No. I'll do Harbor Lights by Boss Gags, and you'll know the reason why. I can turn the power off. Uh, so Jennifer threatened to turn the power off just now. Outside the rain begins, and it may never end, so cry no more on the shore of dream. Um, once a star is told, it can't help but grow old, lovers do. Um, so we go to Maui, to Lahana, and there was an open-air venue, right? And when I say that, I mean, like, there were no walls, because it's Hawaii, and that, uh, yeah, exactly, Andrew Lee was driving, and... We're uh, uh, upstairs, and you could see Lanai, right? From the upstairs of this comedy club, which wasn't a comedy club. It was like an Italian restaurant. I can't remember. Uh, you could see Lanai, the island of Lanai, which Larry Ellison from Oracle owns almost all of. Mm -hmm. So this is, you want to talk about what's wrong with America. What's wrong with America is that Larry or Oracle, as 45 would call him, you know, Mark Facebook and <laughs> Tim Apple and Larry Oracle, um... Very, very, very big with his oracle people. He's like an oracle to them. It's almost as if he's a, an oracle. Um, it's like an orifice, but you call it. Uh, he, uh, he owns an island in the United States, one of our 50 states that we pay taxes for. Larry Oracle owns part of it. And I did a gig for them years ago, and I'm going to tell it anyway because who gives a shit during a pandemic? I did a corporate gig for Oracle, and it was in Honolulu. This is, why is everything in Hawaii? Um, he had everybody out. And this is how hard they make the people in... Uh, I'm getting back to the Maui Festival. I haven't forgotten it. Um, the, uh, this is how hard they make the people work at Oracle. This was in the early 2000s. They were giving out, like... I've done corporate gigs where, like, the big prize they give out is, like, a weekend in Reno or something. I'm not kidding. I've seen people cry at the prizes they got. Uh, at Oracle, they were giving out um, gold Mercedes and Rolexes and stuff like that. Because they go, this guy's handling the account... For the Spanish Navy! Like, those were their clients. It wasn't just the guy down the street or fucking Costco. It was, you know, it really, it was. Literally, they were like, this guy handles the account for the Brazilian Marines. And you're like, the, the, the Department of Defense of the Ukraine. And you're like, what the fuck? That's who Oracle was doing software for. So these guys would come up and they go, uh, basically, they were working, I think, 60 to 70 hours a week to make the kind of money they were making. And, um... After we did the show, and we did a stand-up show as well. I hosted a bunch of shit, breakout sessions. I was with a comic from San Francisco named Sean Corbell, who coincidentally is African-American. And it was me and him doing the show. And he, during his set, 
walked out into the crowd at Oracle and there were one table of black people and he went right to them and went how come you're the only black people here and I fell <laughs> off the stage laughing the place went bananas so I do my set and afterward um, a guy who's w right with the inner circle right goes um, uh, Larry's, uh, Larry's asked me to invite you to a little thing we're having afterward if you want to go and I said, I'd be chuffed beyond all measure. I shall be there presently. Let me gather my things. And so instead of coming alone, I brought uh, Sean and I brought the woman who organized the event. So I brought some of the help with me and they were like, oh, that's great that you brought everybody. We didn't mean everybody. Yeah, like Jeremy Kramer said, as Jennifer just reminded me, when you say you invite everybody to the party, you don't mean everybody. Uh, so they had a balconied suite at this hotel that was shaped like a Mayan pyramid that was on the beach. When you went on the beach, which Sean and I did, Sean and I hung out all day. We swam, we went on the beach and shit, except his body was great. Um, <laughs> Uh, there were, uh, uh, because it's Mexico, soldiers, federales, federales with automatic weapons. from Honolulu to Mexico. Mm. Wasn't it Cabo? Oh, no, it was, yeah, it was, uh, 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 it was Cabo, in fact. Yes, thank you for remembering. The next day, that night I drank 17 tequilas at the Oracle party. In the room, the room was really nice, but you couldn't drink the water in the room. You had to buy a bottle from the gift shop or whatever. Uh... Uh, it was a, a, a Natalie Cole channel. You know how they have like radios in the room sometime? And it, so I turned it on and it was a unforgettable, that's what you are. And, and that's all it played was the album Unforgettable by Natalie Cole. And I was like, that, okay, man doesn't live by bread alone, but all right. So the next morning I get up and I'm under, or as my favorite author, James Crumley would say, I was behind like 10 tequilas. And, um, we flew to Mexico City, and I was pouring, pouring green sweat. I was like, uh, um, uh, a, you know, what's his name? Who won the Pete Vukovic from the Milwaukee Brewers after, uh, uh, you know, not having a night game and then starting a day game. That much sweat. But not 80s, early 80s uh, baseball player Coke sweat. More like just pure tequila sweat. And no water, because I was afraid to drink the water. So... Uh, they put us on this United jet in Mexico City, and they put me next to two children who were having what can best be described as a, a, a demonic possession. And they were flying around the cabin. They were puking and muling. They were fighting with each other in midair. And uh, I looked over at the stewardess from under my hangover. I didn't even say anything to her, or the flight attendant, rather. What am I, Brian Gumble? <laughs> you know, stews. So I looked over at the flight attendant, like this, you know, just clutching my head and sweat pouring down me. And she goes, would you like to move? And I was like, oh, bless you and keep you. I felt so bad not tipping her. So. Wow. Um, yeah, good story. So we go to Maui and we were in a, a, a steerage. We were over the engine. It was like Papillon. I, had my, I was hogtied over the engine with a dish of water like this, eating it the whole way. While the engines throbbed behind me ceaselessly. And uh, they gave you no money, but what they did give you was a room with a balcony in Maui, and uh, they gave me and Jennifer a ticket. So I was like, do you want to go? It's an economy. And Jennifer's like, yeah. So we <laughs> went, we rented a car because, as you know, group fun is no fucking fun. And we drove around. We went to a vodka distillery. So we're doing the show in this Organic. Huh? Organic. 
organic vodka distillery that had a cat passed out on the floor. And the owner of the, the, of the, owner of the organic vodka distillery said, she's sleeping it off. <laughs> goat farm. We went to a goat farm and had organic goat cheese and crackers in an outdoor setting that was at once so Hawaiian. Because what did I say when we were there? Hawaii has all the allures of an unbelievable um, Gauguin tropical paradise. And it's exactly like being in an army base with a Quonset hat. Like there's this duality to Hawaii. Uh, so you can be in the most fabulous place in the world and there'll be a chain link fence and a chemical toilet staring you in the face. And you're like, okay, all right, I got it. It's like Niagara Falls, slowly I turn. What about the pineapple? Step by step. We went to a farm where a tiny little farm, um, this one's really going to bum you out. Uh, you know where we went, Jenner? Down to Junior's farm. Everybody tag along. Down to Junior's farm. One of the best Paul McCartney songs of the 70s. And uh, next to, we're going to get high, high, high. And the music on. Um, we went to this organic farm that Jennifer found, because Jennifer found all this shit. We went to a Buddhist temple. We went and saw the post office where the first elected official from Hawaii, uh, the woman, um, I'm forgetting her name. She's a fabulous congressperson from Hawaii. Uh, Pacific Islander, Asian. Yes. Uh, fabulous. And so, and then there was another, a big mural on the wall. One of those, um, yeah, Buddhist temples are great. Uh, there was this big mural on the wall that said, what was it? Hugs, not drugs, or drugs aren't fun, or have fun without drugs. And I took a picture in front of it going, mm, I don't think so. So... We went to Mama's, uh, which is in Maui. It was a fabulous place on the beach. A fake beach, fake everything. Birds fly to your table and whatnot. I don't uh, If you're a, a vegan or you're easily triggered by animal, um, uh, mute this next part. The octopus was tremendous. It came with pink sea salt. And, uh, yeah, tentacles of octopus. All right, all right. I'll kill an intelligent creature for my own pleasure. Get back to the pineapples. We went to the farm. Thank you, Jennifer. We went to the farm. And it, it was um, a beautiful place because they used people who had um, developmental challenges and who were spurned by uh, the others of society where they were embraced by this farm and given fantastic work to do on this beautiful property that was on top of a hill in Maui in, in, in like the tropical rainforest park. So pretty. And um, outside of Paia. And, uh, oh, we went to the fish place. And I love Hawaii because you, you're like, Hawaii is so... Talk about, you know, I love the South because it's, what was my joke? In, in Hawaii, it's not manana, it's manever. Um, in the South, you can wait like an hour and a half for a biscuit. But in the South, it's like, oh, you want the biscuit with ham? My uncle Derek had one two days ago. AJ, what was the name of that fella that came in and he was in such a hurry? He wasn't shutting down a towel. You mean on Tuesday or Wednesday? I think it was Tuesday last, but I don't rightly remember. Why don't you get May from the kitchen and see if she... You know, and you're like, okay. All I wanted was a donut. And in Hawaii, it's like, is this going to happen? That's always the premise. Like, I'm in line at a fish restaurant. There's a whole menu. I see people cooking. I see people eating. But it's taking so long. Is it really? Ashley, I'm sorry. It's taking so long. Uh, that at one point I thought, are we in line or are we not? And then it, the line sort of moved forward afterward. Of course, uh, the food was to die. What did we have those fish sandwiches, Jennifer? Paul recommended oh, no. it. Yeah, we had the Ono sandwich with coleslaw. And uh, Jennifer had a, a white wine and I had an iced tea. Because I was driving, you guys. Mm. 
That looks cool. The Icelandic, the Icelandic glasses or Finlandic glasses, look super cool in front of the. They're all blue. I think they're elves in Finland. Right. These are uh, Finnish uh, cocktail glasses. You can see that they have raindrops, and the bottom is a bunch of cor. Uh, right. So it's uneven, but it sits. They're beautifully designed. What was the name of that designer from the 50s? It's not Alvar Aalto. I don't know the name. Well, another cat did it, but Alvar Aalto was the, one of the main machas, if you can call someone a macha from Finland, or <laughs> a swaman, as they call it. Finland's another story. So, I worked the room at the podcast, much like I'm doing with you guys. Cheers, Sally. Uh, I worked the room at the podcast, and uh, so I was saying hi to everybody before the show. And I was uh, at the bar, and uh, one of the women at the bar as women sometimes do when they um, frequent uh, methamphetamine parlors and uh, live, live a life on the borders of society, she said to me, um, you better be fucking funny, man, because I'm fucking funny. You better be, man, right? This better be a fucking funny show. And I said, I shall endeavor to try, good lady, with all of my heart. Um, I made a vow uh, to Galahad and all of the other knights of the round table to do only good and for damsels like you to do extra, extra, extra funny codpiece gags and so uh, the show commences and hilariously Hawaii has draconian alcohol laws a place where methamphetamine is so prevalent they call it ice and all the road signs are shot to pieces by firearms where people who weigh 400 pounds live in trailers together in starvation eating spam all of these things are happening in Hawaii as well as the richest people in the world coming to party there Willie Nelson has a crib Oprah has a crib so big it has its own airport. Right? Chris Christopherson has a crib. Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. We'll get to that felon later. So, yeah, you're harsh me. Uh, the show progresses, and I have to put my vodka in a coffee cup. Because I'm like, well, I want vodka during the show. And the guy's like, well, that's easily done. And I'm like, oh, the old the old Jackie Gleason uh, uh, booze. in Because Jackie Gleason... And by the way, I want you to see this. This is our, by our Brit Toth from Ohio. I don't think she's here with us tonight, but did, see what it says? Yeah, I used Jennifer's cup tonight. And without her permission, by the way. <laughs> Jackie Gleason would go like this. A, 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 a burlesque girl would bring him in a burlesque outfit a, a cup of coffee on a, on, with a, a, a saucer. And he'd go, Wow, that's good booze! Like that. Every single week on TV when I was a child. When I was a child, you were supposed to believe that fat guys who chain-smoked had hot chicks bring them booze in a coffee cup. It was... Comedy was so hard to define. So, I'm doing the show, and I remember the week it was, Ginger Baker had swirled into the heavens, so I was playing a bunch of cream and stuff, which, normally not my bag, but Ginger Baker's weird, right? What is it? Uh, tired Starlings! Tired Starlings? That's a lyric? Oh, fuck. I'm not, but the thing is, someone told me I'm frozen. Do you mean Jack Bruce? How do I solve this? I don't know. There we go. We haven't even finished the fucking Maui story. This show's going to be four and a half hours long. Okay, woo! Okay, here we go. You're getting a nice, candid look at the purpose of fortitude here. Shut up about the router. Who gives a shit? There we go. Now the top of my head is visible. 
piece of shit. Easy. Uh, we're in the midst of a protest, and so there's thousands and thousands of people on their cell phones yes. in our neighborhood. I follow. There, we seem to have returned to some sort of normal. Hello. You know, um, there's no earth language that describes his name, but the closest I can translate from the Venusian, he would be called Zontar. <laughs> we seem to have returned to some normality here. Los Angeles has all of a sudden calmed down. I ordered a pizza seven hours ago, and it hasn't arrived yet. Because I'm white, I've been calling Instacart every five minutes to complain about it. <laughs> so anyway, there I am in Hawaii. Is everyone back online or am I waiting for the room manager? Let's rock. Should I move that back? or Everything's cool and everything's shmool. Sure. Hey, that's cool. Um, there I am in, on stage in Hawaii, uh, wrapping the audience into a tiny perfect Tiffany pale pistachio package where their expectations are not only met, they're overwhelmed with the majesty of my uh, lexicon, the, uh, the depth and knowledge of my um, perspicacity, and the unbelievable bravery that I show as a performer, unlike every other performer in America. And at that moment when they were... Um, and by the way, it wasn't Ginger Baker, as Jennifer pointed out to me. It was Jack Bruce. Ginger Baker has been dead for over 50 years, theoretically. Uh, Jack Bruce had passed away from cream. He was swirling in the heavens. Um, I heard a woman from the bar yell out, And four gigantic Hawaiian men have her by each limb. She's being, as they would say at one point, frog-marched. It... One, both of her legs are being held by one guy and each of her arms and they're trying to throw her out of the club because she's obstreperous and absolutely making a nuisance of herself and her rejoinder to them saying we're going to throw you out is fuck you, I was born in a cane field <laughs> meaning I'm from Hawaii and a woman named Amy Rappe painted me this it's a jack she painted me two other paintings as well, but this is the one I kept. I gave the other two away in a book giveaway. Will you bring me that pillow, my precious uh, darling? While we're talking about that, um, she was thrown out, and I said to her, I, now she's out on the street, and as I told you, this is a club without windows, so you can hear people from the street. So she's still heckling me from the street. <laughs> she's gone down a flight of stairs, and she's like, fuck you. So I stuck my head out the window and I went, fuck you, I was born in a, cane a cocaine field. Don't get ash on that pillow. I'm not getting it, I haven't let it yet. Then we finished the show and we had valet parked because this is tourist town. And the guy who valet parks your car, or don't, you don't even valet park, you just park it. And he um, goes, hey, you should try, you know, Hawaii Five-0 down the street. It's a great bar. And you're like, they're paying you to do this. No one goes to that shithole. So we get out to the parking lot. Now the show's concluded, and I'm, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm having to wipe off uh, uh, flower lays and laurels, plaudits, high fives, kudus, uh, 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 baskets of kisses, uh, cookies, whatnot, because the crowd, of course, is grateful for what I've done. And 
I'm wearing a I'm wearing a crown of uh, of palm leaves at this point. I've been given a mango with a, a, a half of a mango with a frog in it. You know, just very Hawaiian. And uh, I'm just coming down the stairs. Jennifer trailing behind me, of course. And uh, we get to the car park, and uh, the fellow brings the car round, the rental car, which, by the way, was maybe one of the cheapest rental cars we've ever. It was fantastically. I don't know how you can rent a Skoda in Hawaii, but we did. We, we managed to get we managed to get like an Eastern European vehicle from the seventies, uh, you know, the, the, where it has the back wheel drive, and you feel like you're going to drive off the road at any point, you know. And there's no weight to it, and and I'm higher than shit, and we're going around mountain turns, and I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck. The Giants won the World Series that year. Anyway, we uh, uh, I say to the guy, did a drunk woman come down here about forty five minutes ago? And he goes. Dude, she's here every night. <laughs> so the bar already knew that she was going to get thrown out because she was. Uh, and I was, then we did a net gig about two days later, and it, me and Eddie Pepitone were backstage, and it was the um, uh, the Bitter Buddha, as you know him. It was the uh, setless show, right, where we improvise a set. And Eddie and I are backstage, and they, we're on really late. And Eddie goes, "I don't want to go on this late." And I go, "Let me see what I can do." I knew the woman who was running the joint, Miss Crichton. Our Hannah and I, uh, I, I finagled us. If I can use an ancient Yiddish word, I finagled an earlier spot. Yeah, it means it means exactly what you think it means. And um, so I got us on early. So Eddie goes up, and there's this crackhead in the crowd. Well, uh, meth head, ice head. What do you call them in Hawaii? Uh, what was my joke? I, I, they call it ice because it's always 1990 in Hawaii. How do you get to Hawaii? Go to Portland and turn left at 1989. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. Hawaii is the state that wants to make you stop, collaborate, and listen. Um, so we, he goes up to do his set, and this cat in the crowd gets up, and he's wearing, I'm not kidding, uh, a, a rock chain, a, a rock chain, and a sideways baseball hat. And he's going like this during Eddie's set. Yeah! Woo! And I'm like, whoa, right? The, Eddie's great, but no one has ever done that at Eddie's set. So, Why? right? What are we at a Molly Hatchet concert? Right, Dog the Bounty Hunter. So, Eddie finishes, and Eddie deals with this guy. Then I get up after Eddie, and this guy's still barking and yelping and whirling. He's doing the Arsenio. It's just awesome, right? So, I, uh, sorry for the kids. Arsenio, well, I don't have time to orient you. We have to go back so far. And now the camera turns to the world of 80s entertainment. Here's Arsenio Hall, all the way from Hollywood. Straight up now, tell me that you love me forever. That's what Paul Abdul asked. But Arsenio could not give a straight answer. If you want to ride in my Mercedes, ride. Tell me what you want to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm going pebbles on you. Someone wrote weaker covers, and I don't think I can. <laughs> I don't think I can. I ain't got no time. So, uh, we're... Uh, we walked down the stairs. Oh, what was I've gotten to the thread here? We, the heckler, getting our car. At the Eddie Pepitone finishes. I go on, and this guy gets up, and he's yelping and shit. And I go, "It is so great to be here with the bus and truck company of Breaking Bad." <laughs> and finally. Two guys come over to him. The manager of the club, who's a white guy, with hilariously for Hawaii. And this is what I love about Hawaii. There's Hawaii Five-0 moments in Hawaii. If you remember in Hawaii Five-0, 
Um, the guy who was the governor, was it the governor that uh, Jack, that McG- Steve McGarrett was always going to visit because he was state police? That he had blonde hair and he was the most whitest guy in the world and he wore a dark suit and he'd go, McGarrett, I need you to look into this. And you're like, how are you the governor of Hawaii? Um, and then they'd have like, as Mad Magazine said, let's have uh, pineapple juice and donuts for breakfast. And you're like, what? And they're like, we're in Hawaii. So, because McGarrett was, the, they had Asians on the show, which was they had Cam Fong as Chin Ho. Uh, and then later they had, uh, what's his name, Duke, the fantastic uh, surfboarder, uh, who was one of the cops on the show. Mm-hmm. So they did actually have, occasionally, a Pacific Islander. But um, I think it was an excuse, really, for Jack Lord to live in Hawaii for 10 years and do a show, which is a, not a bad thing. Uh, the guy who ran the club was wearing, like, a, a kind of a school jacket, and he had, a, like, a beard, like he was the vice chair of the Princeton Art Department. And... Next to him, the bouncer was, of course, a 325-pound Samoan gentleman. And I mean, like, this is how he filled yours field of vision. We're familiar with that from the Bay Area. We're from the Bay Area. So I worked with Andy Bumatai, and Andy Bumatai was a Hawaiian comic and a a wonderful comedian and a great gentleman. And when he played uh, the Bay Area, all of the Pacific Islander community in Samoa and Hawaii would show up. And he told me that when he played Hawaii, one day he was doing a gig and a guy goes, bro, bro, you got to come outside. I got something for you, man. I love you, man. I love you, man. And he's like, what is it? Because that's how the guy has a swordfish, <laughs> a swordfish in his truck. It's love. Yeah, I love Hawaii. And my, my joke in Hawaii was every single story you hear in Hawaii starts with, my cousin Tony gets out of jail, man. We're going to have so much. We're going to party. So... He's got a fishing boat. Anyway, the cops, fucking cops. You want to mix it? You want to mix it? So, uh, we we I he is being ejected by the manager, who, as I said, looks like the vice chair of the art department at Yale, and this gigantic um, bouncer. And that's when he cracks out, cracks out the "you're um, fucking with me" because I'm from Hawaii card. And goes, hey, you fucking howly, I'm, I'm fucking pure Hawaiian and shit. And they threw him out anyway. But my other joke, of course, was when the other heckler got thrown out, I said, this isn't Dayton, Ohio in the winter. She was thrown out into Lahaina. We're 10 yards from the ocean. You were thrown out into paradise and went to the next bar, surely, because the car park had seen her every night. So someone absolutely did a pillow. A pillow. It's so beautiful. It's it's um, embroidered. It has. It's been. There's a, a zipper in the back where the cushion goes. It, Jennifer and I have kept it close to our hearts. Um, this cat here named um, Eric. I can't see because there's no light. Can you see what his last name is? Because we have to start this show. We really, really have to start the show. There's been a lot of interruptions. There's been a lot Butte. of bullshit. What? Butte. Butte? Yeah. Like Butte? Yes. As in Montana? Yeah. Eric Butte. As you know, Satchel Page is a hero of mine, and every show closes with him. Uh, Eric Butte did this lovely painting of Satchel Page. It's really nice. It's on a piece of board, and he wrote his name on the back. And I, what I wanted to get to was... I want to thank everyone, uh, all of you guys, of course, and everyone over the years, because it's been 10 years now. That's given me a book, a painting. I had playing cards, um, a mobile, a bottle full of joints. Those glasses. 
these uh, these glasses were given to Jennifer and I in San Diego at a place called Mysterious Boy? Galaxy. Galaxy. Mm. Um, these caps, uh, uh, paintings, books of poetry, the Burt Reynolds biography. Dude, did you give me the Burt Reynolds biography? Because, dude. Okay, one very quick one from the Burt Reynolds biography. Yeah, I'm going to do it. He, he's out drinking with Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin was a He-Man who was in the Dirty Dozen and a lot of rough-and-tumble movies. Uh, the Wild One and whatnot. And um, they get so shit-faced in Malibu that Lee Marvin goes, you drive, kid. So Lee, Burt Reynolds goes, all right, I'm going to drive. I figured this out. I'm going to go five miles an hour in the right lane as slowly as possible so that the sheriffs don't come and pick us up. Lee Marvin clings to the top of the vehicle like this. <laughs> Clings to the top of the vehicle like this. So he's driving Lee Marvin's or his fucking Mercedes or whatever down the PCH, which is the most expensive highway in America, in Malibu, in our, uh, in lower California. And he's going five miles an hour. The CHP pulls up, right? And Burt Reynolds is like, I'm fucked. I'm fucked. They're going to put us both in jail. We're shit faced. I'm drunk. I have Lee Marvin on the top of my car <laughs> holding the windows like that. The, the CHP guy comes up and goes, oh, hey, Lee. And drives off. <laughs> what about that guy? Um, the Pam Greer uh, biography, which I love. The Rick James biography. Um, so many. I, I can't read this because it's uh, poorly inscribed. But uh, this was given to me as well. It's an entire book on Kind of Blue, the album we were discussing earlier. But I wanted to thank you for all of that. We received photographs of insects in Brooklyn. We received um, seven bottles of vodka in Kansas City. That was the record next to Vancouver. Seven. And, by the way, none of them were supermarket vodka. Everybody went artisanal. I gave everyone who worked in the club a bottle of vodka, and they, they thought I was the best act they'd ever had there. Um, your gifts have meant so much to me and Jennifer. Paintings, artwork, poet original poetry, original paintings, also books of other sorts, uh, uh, um, Every conceivable author. Handmade wine glasses. Oh, my God. Feminist stuff. Handmade wine glasses. Handmade jewelry. Um, kittens and McTavishes of every stripe and caliber. By the way, this was made by... Uh, well, I can't pull it out, but... Britt Toth, who made this, also made the um, Smartest Man in the World logo that we... Um, she didn't make the logo, but she made the thing. So, here's two of my favorites. Bill, I know you're here tonight. Uh, he goes by Clada on Twitter. He used to be formerly the artist known as Jack Shit. Given me a thousand different books. Norman Lear, Jimmy Carter, Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, how many am I forgetting, Jennifer? And Bill goes to book shows and gets them to autograph the book, and then he gives them to me. Bill, you live in my heart. Um, you gave me this one, and it's autographed Beautiful. by Shirley Chisholm. I hesitate to even open it because it's very delicate. Shirley Chisholm ran for president against Nixon in 1972. It's a beautiful book, and she wrote several books, and it's called, this one's The Good Fight. Her other book was called Unbought and Unbossed, right? I wanted to read you a couple things, but I think the light's too low for me to read. Should we turn it up a little? Or? Oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer's just going to give me her phone so that we don't have to get crazy. Uh, this one is, I thought was really good. Most, uh, oh, let's see here. We're talking about discrimination now. We've cheesed into the uh, boring, preachy part. Our society must be able to give uh, black women um, training, but in the meantime, there are definite steps which can be taken to utilize the talents of black women and to provide them with the income above the poverty line, steps which will eliminate the discrimination on the basis of race and sex. 
Some of you may be thinking, how can she say this discrimination is so virulent? Isn't she the first black female member of Congress? By the way, it took till Shirley Chisholm for there to be a black female member of Congress. There were many black men members of Congress in the 19th century before white people decided it was too much, freaked out, and instituted Jim Crow. Ooh, it reminds me of something. Oh, what could it remind you oh, of? Oh, Is that a helicopter right here? Oh, don't blind me. Don't blind about the light. <laughs> uh, on the contrary, my battle was long, incredibly hard, and continued. Because I pushed, I encountered the strongest prejudice of less competent males. Hmm. Both black and white. That I want is a tribute to the women in my neighborhood who are finally saying no to the system. They're fed up, and each day goes by, and the awareness of women to our plight grows. There'll be more and more women who will say no. Um, rather than dip you into the tank of darkness, because this has been a mad week, and a violent week, and a week of uh, transgressions uh, by the, the, uh, the government and the police, and a week of speaking out by the people in the most sincere form of speaking out. I, I don't like the word riot in this case because I feel these are protestations and that the police are the ones who induce riots. But I also feel that Martin Luther King said it more eloquently than anyone else when he said, a riot is the language of the unheard. Mm -hmm. Meaning, as the First Amendment decreed, we can uh, uh, petition for redress of grievances in a public square and hopefully not have our heads coshed in uh, by the cops or the army, or the militia, and that. And as you know, we have an um, out-of-control, uh, demented, um, Adderall-infested autocrat um, occupying, as Kamala Harris says, the occupant of the White House. Um, he wasn't duly elected. Um, we know that the only way he could win was by cheating. It was revealed this week by the DNI that uh, Michael Flynn had extensive meetings with Mr. Kuziak and the Russian um, M emissary, with whom he made um, special protective deals. That is what we used to call, um, when I was a kid, treason. Um, it's what he pleaded guilty to, and uh, it's what they're trying to exonerate him from. So all this bourgeois hoo-ha, bing-bang, and uh, hibbity-doo about how the troops are going to shoot people in the streets and all that is um, typical Russian playbook and what we call active measures on here right. helicopters. No, I just meant chaos. It's called chaos. And um, you mustn't let it frighten you. What you must do is... I know our lives are unbelievably emotionally on the edge right now. And all of us feel as if we're losing our minds. I know I do. On the other hand, you have to remember the incredible victories that we've had. He's been impeached. Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. Um, things are being done against him all the time right now. He also lost the 2018 midterms when he tried to whip it up with the pretend group of uh, immigrants that were coming over the border and they're going to kill us. 118 women got seated in Congress in the last election. Remember that nationally. 118 women got seated in the last election. But what if he does this and what if he does that? He's going to do something fucking crazy every day. That's all he's got. He's an agent of chaos. He's malevolent. He's pure evil. And I'll go even further. So is everyone in the whole goddamn Republican Party. If you live in Ohio, I'm happy for you. Mike DeWan has done a good job. He's also going to try to strike abortion rights down while he does a job protecting the populace of that state. This whole push forward into opening so soon while we're still in May is, um, I believe, ill-advised. And were I you, I would wear my mask, be polite to people, give them extra leeway on their faults and vices, and push on. This will be over. 
The federal government is not going to help us. This whole we're all in this together thing, we are all in this together. Rich people are on another team that's not all in this together with us. Mark Zuckerberg gave an interview on Fox News with Dana Perino, who I've met. Because I used to do Red Eye on Fox News. And Dana Perino said to me that she loved Whose Line Is It Anyway. And I was like, I'm talking to a woman who didn't know what the Bay of Pigs invasion was when she was George W. Bush's press secretary. So that's where we're at now, you guys. Um, We're all in it together. We're going to have each other's backs. We're going to be the ones who show love and acceptance and honor and respect and dignity. And what we're going to do most of all is on election day, you're going to mail in or crawl over broken fucking glass through pools of alkali and COVID-19 fucking molecules swirling around you to vote for every Democrat and to vote every Republican in this fucking country Mm -hmm. out of office. Like John Lewis said today. John Lewis said today, we must go to the polls and vote like we've never voted before because we're voting for our very lives. I know you're going to do this because I know we're cool. And I know the United States is going to do this because I saw what happened in 2018. With all of the terrible blows that uh, 45 tries to deal us every day, and with all the chaos that he tries to throw us, and with all of the agitation, race baiting, racism, sexism, homophobia, and general insanity, you have to remember that we're in the majority. We really, really are. And things change quite fucking quickly. You're young, some of you. I'm old. In 1968, I was eight. In 1967, there were riots in Newark, uh, 1965, there were riots in, uh, riots in Watts. In, uh, in 67, there were riots in Detroit. In 68, the uh, Democratic National Convention almost didn't happen because um, there was so much rioting in the streets. And Richard Daley, who was the mayor of Chicago at the time, decided to use the police in uh, the same way that you see different police departments in this country used against young people. Then it was fear of a teenage planet. Now it's fear of a black black planet. It was definitely racist then. then. Nixon ran in 72 after winning in 68 off the back of George Wallace running as a third-party disgruntled white guy candidate. The South carried him. That's when, ever since LBJ signed the Civil Rights Act in 65, white men left the Democratic Party. And a lot of white women the last time, too. So this is what we're dealing with here. I'm not talking about... Um, theories, and I'm not talking about um, uh, conjecture. This is American history. Uh, it can statistically and empirically be improven, or, or proven rather, or improven. I can improve it. So that's what I'm on about. I'm on about the fact that you're on the winning goddamn team, and that when Bill Clinton and Barack Obama were given uh, uh, the chance to be president for eight years. Those are the best 16 years out of the last 50 years in American history. Because there was an acknowledgement that queers were human, Latins were human, Asians are human, Native Americans are human. No, they couldn't get everything done because the damage done by every Republican has been so extensive since Herbert Hoover that it's almost impossible to get over it. Do I care about third-party candidates? Not at fucking all. I really don't. I'd like to tell you that I did, but I try to take sense from a lot of different people. It doesn't work. I'm going to uh, read you a couple of things from this, a couple of things from that, then we're going to push on. Um, This was a great gift given to me called um, uh, Tears We Cannot Stop. Michael Eric Dyson's been on telly a lot today, I noticed. I want to read you the inscription because I've done it for everyone else. Uh, Dave and Jasmine gave me this. There's a couple of items in here that he talks about 
that I think are very pertinent to today. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read you a couple. You have no fucking choice. Uh, here it is. Uh, it's a sermon for white people. Michael Eric Dyson is a minister and also an author and activist. Can't you see, my friends, that whiteness is determined to get the last word, that it's determined once again to make its unspoken allegiances and silent privilege the basis of justice in America? That seems rather pertinent to me. Don't you see it's your way or no way at all? Please don't pretend. You don't understand us. You didn't get mad when all those white folks who killed black folk got away with the murders in the 60s. And then he lists all of them. The next page has a very salient comment that I wanted to read, and I'm going to. Um, uh, I have to use the light. Sorry. Uh, OJ awakened your collective white rage. That, or you're obsessed with him because he's the one that got away, the one who challenged your view of whiteness, made you madder than anybody. That is, until Obama. But there's little real justification for Obama hate, except that he was a black man in charge of our country, and many whites wanted to take it back and make it great again, hence the election of Donald Trump as president. This book was written in 2016. Um, I won't go on, because I have a, a bunch of other things I want to talk to you about. Michael Eric Jackson has quite a lot to say, and it would behoove you to listen to him. I don't have a quote pulled from this, Jennifer, but I will show it to the... Uh, Bukari Sellers uh, was a congressperson and is an author, and he's written this book about the fate of what's going on in America right now, and it's called My Vanishing Country. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, so I can't intelligently tell you the best parts of it. However, I did tweet Bukari, and he tweeted me back, so my assignment and my homework is to read it. What I want you to do, if you're a white person, is to, uh, the following, uh, right? George Floyd uh, was brutally uh, killed by the police. We're also talking about um, several other people in the last week. Ahmaud Arbery and, of course, Breonna Taylor. These are just the latest three. Uh, there was also a trans person in Tallahassee who I've not got on my uh, tip right this second. Uh, the police in America operate on two different systems. One is, of course, um, the old slave patrol system. The slave patrols uh, started way before the Civil War and were ways for white people to gather together and um, rule on black people's lives, rule on their bodies, um, take them into incarceration, lynch them, and do all sorts of unjust things to them. It took centuries of uh, black activists, and this is why I say don't be depressed and don't get down, even if you are. Before I say this, let me say this. Before I say that, let me say these. <laughs> There's no pressure on you right now. You don't have to learn to speak um, Venezuelan. You don't have to learn how to play the guitaro or the oboe. You don't have to write a book. What do they say Shakespeare wrote? Cymbeline or whatever during this? Fuck that shit. Right. Newton discovered gravity. Yeah, Newton discovered gravity and wrote a dissertation. Newton never, ever had sex with another person. So Newton's like a stunted individual. He really didn't. Him and George Bernard Shaw are like, I don't even know why. Well, they're, they're white guys. Wow. In any case, you're off the hook for everything. Your job is simply to survive. And vote. Sign up to vote and goddammit vote. It is more important than you could possibly imagine. Uh, your job is to get through this and try to live. So don't 
put yourself in harm's way, wear your mask like a good human being. There's a phrase in Yiddish that's called um, being a mensch. And it doesn't mean a man, and it doesn't mean a woman. It means a human being. And a human being looks out for other human beings. What do I mean by that? I mean, when you see the right wing, and let's be honest, the Russian uh, uh, um, bots and the Russian active measures wing of their uh, motivation against America, label masks as a sign of weakness, as that's the uh, libtards and the Dems. You notice all the weird Republican congresspeople and senators that refuse to wear one. You notice that 45 won't wear one. Um, that's weaponization of logic. It's imperative that everyone wear one when you go outside, when you go to the grocery store, when you go uh, uh, to this, the gas station, whatever, wherever you're going, your job. I know a lot of you are called essential workers. I know a lot of you are working those kind of places. I love you for that. I can't imagine having to do that. I have a lot of underlying health issues. Cheers. We spoke to our FedEx guy the other day. Yeah. And the people uh, that are like our FedEx guy and your the people who work for the post office and whatnot are really putting their lives online everybody day. Yeah. There's no pressure on you to be a better person than you are other than how you treat other people. If you can help and if you can uplift the voices of other people, that would be beautiful too. But what I want you to do most of all is make it through this so that we can change the world. Because imagine everybody swooping in in January of next year and changing the government. The CDC's uh, put back in play. Uh, the WHO's put back in play. All these things happen. Prosecutions of certain criminals and all that jazz. And then a vaccine and whatnot. How can I do this? Listen to black people. Um, be allies with black people. How can I do that? Here's a couple that you might read um, or on Twitter or follow them or listen to them on the news. Zerlina Maxwell is often on MSNBC. She also has a podcast. Tiffany Cross is a reporter who uh, we watched conduct a, a conversation with Bakari Sellers and um, Kamala Harris, Harris the other day. Yamichi Alcindor is the White House correspondent for PBS. Karen Atia is from Africa and uh, holds several degrees and writes for the Washington Post. Maya Rudolph, Jamel Bowie, Michael Harriot, you'll quite enjoy if you read Michael Harriot. He writes for The Root and Very Smart Brothers. Corinne Jean-Pierre uh, is an activist and is wonderful. on the Biden campaign now. Mina Harris, sister of Kamala Harris. Ava DuVernay made a movie called 13. She made a movie called um, Martin Luther King. Ava DuVernay writes every Selma. day. Uh, Selma, excuse me. Uh, Ava DuVernay writes every day about civil rights and justice. She's a black filmmaker right here in Lower California. Um, she has quite a lot to say. Ida Bay Wells uh, is how she identifies herself. Her name is Anne, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Uh, she put out something called the 1619 Project. We've talked about it before on the show. Uh, why am I talking to you about that? 1619 is the first year that um, the slaves arrived in the United States. And you can find it for free. It's a New York Times thing. You're supposed to go behind a paywall, but I'm going to hip you. Um, PulitzerCenter.org has the 1619 Project in its entirety. I'm going back to my list. Uh, let's see here. Thank you very much. I appreciate that distinction. That was a terrible thing I said, and you're right for correcting me. They were not slaves. White people enslaved them. Uh, white people um, brutalized them. White people um, used their bodies for property. When you hear all these complaints now that, oh my God, they blew up a target, or oh my God, they crashed into CNN, what we're talking about is the same sentiment 
as making black people property. And that's what you have to understand as a white person. The reason why the United States is built the way it is uh, and the wealth funnels upwards the way it does is because of the slave state. And all of us, white people, including me, have benefited from it. And so the sooner you understand that and recognize it, the sooner you'll get toward empathizing with why we should be concerned with black and brown peoples and Asian peoples and Pacific Islanders and American Indians. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, grievances and, and LGBTQ people, everyone, women. Um, I often wonder why women don't bring the country to the ground while men are sleeping. But it reminds me of something that a friend of ours said to uh, our very good friend Warren Thomas, who was a black friend of ours who's, who passed away of AIDS and swirled off into the heavens some time ago. And he said to him, Warren, how come black people don't bring the country to the ground? And he said, we built it. So you may want to consider that. Um, Kat Stafford, uh, Alicia Garza, who's one of the co-founders of um, Black Lives Matter with Patricia Cullors, who is speaking here tonight uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, Derek Johnson is the president and CEO of the NAACP. Michael Eric Dyson, who we talked about before. Brittany Packett. Andrea Jenkins. Andrea Jenkins. Oh, she spoke so wonderfully about what happened in Minneapolis. Uh, she's a friend of ours on the show. We've met her. Jennifer uh, hooked us up with uh, Andrea Jenkins. In, uh, I'm trying to look for quotes. I'll find them as I go along. Here. Uh, um, Andrea Jenkins is a, a, a council member in the city of um, Minneapolis. She's a eighth ward. Thank you for that. As you know, uh, Minneapolis has a very sexy Jewish mayor. And um, Andrea Jenkins has been quite outspoken the last few days. You may have seen her sing Amazing Grace on telly a couple days ago. I'm asking my colleagues and mayor to declare a state of emergency, declaring racism as a public health issue. Minneapolis Council Vice President Andrea Jenkins said, by the way, her ward is the ward where um, the terrible act took place. We feel as if there was a knee on all of our collective necks, a knee that says black life does not matter. Until we name this virus, this disease that's infected America for the past 400 years, we will never, ever resolve this issue. Andrea Jenkins said, um, following George Floyd's death. George Floyd is his name. Names are important. It's important to remember a lot of people's names during this as they go by. I've had occasion to meet Andrea, not only an interviewer at a podcast we did at the ACLU uh, National Conference full of privileged rich white people, but uh, uh, she came to a, a Who's Line show in Minneapolis last year and, and the whole crew got to meet her and um, she's and her family and she's just fantastic. I hope that one day Andrea runs for Congress. Thank you. We're Senate. Uh, and for further office. Uh, Alicia Garza, what did I hear? Uh, Andrew Jenkins, Kamala Harris, Bar- uh, now some Congress people that you might want to get with. Barbara Lee Val Demings uh, is from Florida. I met her at a corporate gig years ago with uh, Chip Eston in Orlando. Maxine Waters, who's our own um, hero down here in Lower California. Frederica Wilson from Florida, she wears a cowboy hat. That's how you'll recognize her. Hakeem Jeffries, who I believe will be the next Speaker of the House if Joe Biden is elected president. Ayanna Presley, who's a freshman. She's part of the gang, but let's be honest, she's a really, really magnificent member of the gang. Um, I don't think she's a part of that anymore. Well, I don't know if she's a part of it, but... Because she actually does something. Ayanna Presley is a a, a superb congressperson and a rookie. And uh, uh, you may want to go on some black websites. The Root and Blavity are two good places to start. Daryl Sturgis... Um, whose cat I follow on Twitter, had something I really enjoyed this week to say. I keep hearing folks say Trump's rhetoric will inspire violence. It already has. Charlottesville, El Paso, the pipe bomber, the Parkland shooter, the Tree of Life synagogue killer, the Christchurch Moss murderer. 
If Trump wasn't POTUS, he'd be banned for Twitter from life. Mm -hmm. He's done nothing but um, fan the flames of racism. And uh, if you still have any notion that there's getting through to them, that um, they can be got to, that they can be rationed, you know, that they can be reasoned with, that they'll listen to facts, it's not going to happen. So we really have to carry the big load here. Think of it like 1968 meets 1948, 45 uh, meets 1918 uh, meets 1930. Um, this is the year we're in. As I said at one point earlier in the show, I'm old. 1968, America was on fire. There was also a thing called the Hong Kong flu that killed millions of people worldwide and 100,000 people in the United States. I got it. I was a little kid. I got the Hong Kong flu. I was sick as a dog for two weeks. My parents were worried sick about me. And uh, a lot of old people died in the United States. So when I say about pandemics, I'm not being glib. It, it's true and it happens. This one is more virulent than anything we'll ever have to deal with in our lifetime. This is our depression in World War II. I thought Watergate, the Hong Kong flu, and, and, and the 70s, and then later Reagan was our World War II, but it isn't. This is it. You can't choose the terrible disaster that besets you. What you can choose is to be resolved. And when I say resolved, I mean full of hope that there's so many people that are pushing forward that you're one of them. Not full of despair that insane people and racists uh, are going to keep trying to make things worse every second of the day. Because they are. There's nothing I can do about that for you. There's nothing you can do about that for you. All you can do is to stay focused on getting through this and each day trying to do something kind for yourself or for someone else. And if you can't do that, it's okay too. I ate an ice cream and some pork <laughs> for lunch today. What about uh, Larry Kramer? We're going to do Larry Kramer right now and then I'm going to skip that one. And I want to talk about three people. Uh, the Washington Post and the New York Times it was a Haagen-Dazs ice cream bar, but we've been, we did order the Jenny's ice cream that uh, um, Nancy Pelosi ordered. We got Brambleberry um, chocolate cake. What was the other one? Boston uh, cream pie. Boston cream pie. Uh, uh, oh, my God. Pineapple upside down cake. Pineapple upside down cake. They're selling so much ice cream because Pelosi and Biden both pumped it that it's. I think the orders are taking like two weeks now. Stuff. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. This is some privileged shit. I feel the same way. Think about this, right? All of our brothers and sisters who are out on the street and all of their anger, you have to be understanding about it. In 2014, when the shit hit the fan in Ferguson and Missouri, I remember playing Kansas City. And the reason I took the gig in Kansas City was Jennifer. Jennifer said, when you play Kansas City, you can invite Bob Kendrick from the Negro League Museum to come see you, which he did. And that's when we met. I went to the museum, and then he came to the show. And he and I, Bob doesn't drink, uh, after the show hung out in the dressing room and talked baseball for, I don't know, three hours. So it started, to, hours? It, started to, yeah, it started something really beautiful in my life. However, I remember that week making uh, the satirical jokes about the police department and Ferguson. And the white people of Kansas City, Missouri, weren't that into hearing it. Um, and now here we are where we are. And now it's time for all of us to 
honestly reappraise where we're coming from. The destruction of property is terrible and really oughtn't happen. But don't confuse the destruction of uh, uh, giant corporate businesses with the destruction of small businesses. In LA, we've had a terrible time the last two nights, especially last night. Um, Spring Street got hit pretty hard, and Spring Street's really owned by a lot of immigrants and people of color, and that's a tough blow to take. I'm not saying the destruction of property is good, but when you start hearing white people go off about it, put it into context. We wouldn't have the material property that we have if people of color hadn't devoted their lives day and night to keeping us alive. And I'm talking about the Latin people who pick the food, make the food, and make clothes. And make the clothes. Um, the prison system is open and alive. Loads of corporations use it. McDonald's has prisoners make masks and uh, uh, uniforms for them at no expense to them because of the 13th Amendment. Some of the people that um, swirled under the heavens, um, this is from both the New York Times and the Washington Post. Theodore Gaffney, 92, was a photographer who risked his life to document the 1961 Freedom Riders and one of the most tumultuous 48 hours in U.S. civil rights history. He was the descendant of enslaved people from a South Carolina plantation. His name is Theodore Gaffney. He went on to take pictures inside the White House, including the Obama White House. By the way, one quarter of the presidents of the United States were slave owners. One quarter of the presidents of the United States were slave owners. And this one. Uh, Zoa McCumbie Sr. was an elementary school psychologist in Washington, D.C. He made it his mission to help poor black children get high-quality education. He was born in what is now the Congo to Angolan refugees. He was a freedom fighter. He pushed for Angolan independence, then he got a Ph.D. Wow. 75 years old, he passed away and swirled off into the heavens two weeks ago. Mary Lou Armour. And this one really hits home. She worked for the Santa Rosa police department. She was 43. Oh, God. African-American. And she was in the sexual assault and domestic violence unit. She was the first police officer in California that the virus took. Her name is Mary Lou Armour. She was beloved of her friends there. I played Santa Rosa not some months ago with uh, the Who's Life group. And uh, Santa Rosa is a beautiful, beautiful place in California where I assure you the weather the wine, the cheese, the weed, everything combines to make it lovely. They've been hit by fires the last two years. And I think she's a hero of this virus. A lot of people are heroes of the virus. A couple of things. I'm going to do one thing before I do Larry Kramer. Little Richard is still swirling in the heavens. And uh, Little Richard knew everything about everything. And I don't know if I said this last week on the show. And quite frankly, I don't give a shit if I did. Because if you've heard it before... You need to hear it again, because uh, there's no one greater than him. Ooh, let's say that. What's that? We played that one. But you know what? They're always worth playing again. That's the thing about Little Richard is all of his songs are so good that you're... Reading about him, I just... He just looms larger, doesn't he? There's no one as sexy and definitive as him when you have that many great musicians in your band including but also no one said of Elvis or Jerry Lee that they were kind or Chuck Berry now let's spin this one uh, here it is oh how about this one this one's super cam oh my soul baby 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 
Get up off of that money. What? Yeah. Little Richard said this, and that's why I wanted to read this before the Larry Kramer part. Um, gay people are the sweetest, kindest, most artistic, warmest, and most thoughtful people in the world. And since the beginning of time, all they've ever been is kicked. Little Richard said that. He's so awesome beyond measure. Isn't it true? Yes. Larry Kramer, writer, uh, film, uh, you know, he, he could have been a film executive. What he's known as most of all is the activist who started ACT UP and the one who began the national dialogue during the Reagan administration about gay people being ignored, about their disease being sidelined, about a plague hitting America. Gay people, like black people, who are often intersect, uh, like people of color, know all about plagues hitting America. And they know all about police brutality over and over and over and over and over again to control their bodies and to control their political will. Larry Kramer was vocal. A lot of the papers used weird verbiage this week, said things like that he was abusive and whatnot. What he was doing was, like Diogenes, he was looking at the truth. Yes. Uh, maybe more like Jeremiah. He was screaming into the wilderness that an uncaring group of heterosexual white people who were running the whole show were letting an entire generation of gay people die because they just didn't care. He screamed it from the rooftops. Anthony Fauci, who became a hero of the AIDS movement later, was someone that he had particular uh, issue with and called him a murderer, called him a, a what was it, a quack? <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, Fauci said, and this is, I'm quoting, there's two eras in American medical history, before Larry Kramer and mm -hmm. after Larry Kramer. This he was called a, him a murderer. A murderer. He called Fauci a murderer. Murderer, uh, I mean, Mr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci, was moving too slowly for Larry Kramer's, um, you know, needs at the time. And Jennifer and I are from San Francisco, and... We lived there from 79 on, and I remember going past a bar on Polk Street called Chemo's, and yes, uh, they had a marquee, and yes, on the marquee it said, come in for some chemo therapy. It was the first place I remember when I lived there. I lived several blocks away on Bush in 1979. There were pictures in the window, and they were mimeographed in those days. This is 1979 of Kaposi's sores. Mm -hmm. And it said, do you have this? It's called gay cancer. So, mind you, I was 19. I'm 60 now. Hello, everybody. And look at me. I'm still standing better than I ever did. Oh, shit. Is that an embolism? I don't feel that well. Jennifer. <laughs> um, and it took years and years to get anyone to notice that an entire generation of artists actors and people in general was taken from the world because um, the Reagan administration was so insanely homophobic. Um, that can't be stressed enough, I don't think. No. And I don't think Larry Kramer can be stressed enough for As not, a hero. not only entering the public square, but being privileged, Jewish, and loud. He never shut the fuck up. He never lowered his voice. He called us uh, I, that expression's 
probably ill-chosen. He he never called. He never hesitated to call anyone out on what he thought was bullshit. Yes. And he did it time and time again. He insulted almost every major public health <laughs> figure in the United States for over 25 years. My favorite other story is there was a show called Nightline with Ted Koppel. And Ted Koppel would come on and have giant ears. And he'd go, I'm Ted Koppel. And this is Nightline. I'm kind of doing as David Brinkley. But he had a David brinkley David Brinkley was more like this. He'd go, I'm David Brinkley. Ted Koppel did more of this. This is Nightline. Tonight... We're going to talk about the gay plague with Dr. Anthony Fauci and act up activist Larry Kramer. Larry Kramer started screaming on the show that Anthony Fauci was a murderer and that he was incompetent. Ted Koppel cut off his mic on live yeah. national TV. <laughs> Anthony Fauci finished the show, got off, and um, Larry Kramer called him 15 minutes later and goes, that went great. And he was like, what do you mean it went great? He goes, 10 million people, 10 million people saw me call you a, a quack. Everybody knows now. It'll be on the news tomorrow. Larry Kramer uh, wrote a play called The Normal Heart that Martin Sheen's um, starred in Off-Broadway. Uh, Larry Kramer was a, 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 an enormous supporter of our good friend Mark Crowley. Larry Kramer was a gay playwright with an unstoppable voice. He was, as he put it, Malcolm X. He said that he waited his entire activist career for the Martin Luther King to appear, the one that the public liked a little more. Although, remember, my white friends, Martin Luther King was the most hated man in America in a lot of polls the year before he died. Mm -hmm. And that should make your heart implode. I was in Memphis last year. The hotel where he was assassinated is still there. The cars that were parked below his room are still there. And there was a line of black children going to the museum on the day in the pouring ass rain when we were there. Memphis, Charlottesville, Greensboro. How many cities can you name? Tulsa. Birmingham. Birmingham, Los Angeles, Detroit. The debt that we owe African Americans in this country can never be paid. The only thing we can do is try to be allies and make it right. The debt that we owe gay people in this country is really not something that is going to be finished. These are all works in progress, and that's why you have to let yourself off the hook. That's why you have to have a glowing blue light and some marijuana just to get through the but day. learn, right? Take it on board is all I'm asking. We Reach did... out. Reach out and learn. Well, you know, I have people say to me things like, I don't know any gay people in my life. And you're like, you do. You do. You do. No, you do. Uh, uh, but you need to kind of get back with them a little. Uh, Henry Dumas. I'm going to read a poem now because I had a request from a very good friend named Nathan who sent us a, a, a little unicorn thing. Henry Dumas is a black poet. He was killed by the police, much like everyone else that we're talking about here tonight. Um, the New York Transit Authority police shot him in 1974, and there were no eyewitnesses, and there was no testimony, so he left his wife and family alone. He was an essayist, a novelist, he wrote short stories, and he was a poet. I'm going to read you a Henry Dumas poem right now. I didn't pick one about brutality or anything. I picked one about the earth because I think that sometimes we need to step back from when things get super violent and super crazy. Where power corrupts, poetry cleanses. John F. Kennedy said that. John F. Kennedy's a mixed bag. 
but he was an intelligent person. If you want to hear what people say when they're speaking to the world, RFK's speech upon the night of Martin Luther King's assassination to black people, uh, Brian Cam reprinted it on his, the reporter reprinted it the other day. RFK mentions that his favorite poet is Aeschylus. So he's not talking down to the crowd at all. He's presuming that everyone knows who Aeschylus is, who's an ancient Greek poet. The only way we can approach one another, Lawrence Ferlinghetti said, the shortest distance between two people is a poem. Here we go. Love song. By the way, the squirrel hasn't attacked me in a few days, but there's been a lot of things thrown, and there was a terrible, terrible fit on the porch the other day. I don't know what happened to the squirrel's domicile, but evidently it's not good because he was nickering and wickering and being a total pain in the ass. <laughs> I haven't seen the squirrel in the last two days. There's two of them, by the way. I think there are a couple. Um, Love Song by Henry Dumas. Beloved, I have to adore the earth. The wind must have heard your voice once. It echoes and sings like you. The soil must have tasted you once. It's laden with your sun. The trees honor you in gold and blush when you pass. I know why the North Country's frozen. It's been tried to preserve your memory. I know why the desert burns with fever. It was wept too long without you. On hands and knees, the ocean begs up the beach and falls at your feet. I have to adore the mirror of the earth. You've taught her well how to be beautiful. Henry Dumas. Um, Tony Morrison thought he was a genius. Tony Morrison's done nothing but try to support. Have we gone too long or are we... House managers? Everybody cool? Okay. A couple more things and then we'll skitter. Uh, Dumas wrote stories that echo uh, cases like that of Tamir Rice. You may look him up. Let's see here. If you want to get down with what's real, in every town there are different websites. In Atlanta, Solidarity.org. These are Black Lives Matter type sites. In Chicago, ChicagoBond.org. In Louisville, ActionNetwork.org fundraising uh, slash Louisville Community Bail Fund. Cash bail is a real issue, um, and that needs to be addressed. In Minnesota, the MinnesotaFreedomFund.org. The MinnesotaFreedomFund.org. What are you saying, Ann? Ann Tullock says ColoradoBailFund.org as well. There was a giant protest in Denver today and at the Capitol. In New York City, BrooklynBailFund.org. Um, also, the Bronx Freedom Fund .org. I'm going to post all these tomorrow when this comes out. In Philly, Philly bailout. Um, Corinne Schutek, who I do not know and who wrote for Medium, which is not something I'm often uh, reading, but her column for Medium was so beautiful that I thought I should. Um, her article was called 75 Things White People Can Do for Racial Justice. And it included so many things that were so beautiful that I thought I should read a couple to you. The National Council for Incarcerated and Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls, the NAACP Southern Poverty Law Center, the United Negro College Fund, the Black Youth Project, Color of Change, the Sentencing Project, 
Families Against Mandatory Minimum, A New Way of Life, Dream Defenders. And these were very interesting, and I think you'll like them. Black Businesses. Those are uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter chapter. All those things I read to you before are about uh, black incarceration and uh, helping black families that are, have members that are incarcerated. These ones are black businesses. And when you get to them, they're interactive maps and stuff, and you'll really dig it. We Buy Black, The Black Wallet, and Official Black Wall Street. When you go there, they're interactive. Um, in the California one, you can look at where you are in L.A. and whatnot. There's a bank quite near us that's a black bank. It's uh, astonishing. Um, I talked about that. Oh, Zuckerberg. I've had enough of his ass. I don't need to know anything more about him other than he wants money from evil sources. A couple of beautiful things. The National Gallery of Art on Twitter at at N-G-A-D-C. Uh, they have uh, virtual uh, galleries that you can view. The Monterey Bear Aquarium. I know we mentioned it before, but I really love the jellyfish cam. There's a lot of them. There's otter cam and there's a bunch of them. Joy of Museums virtual tours. Joyofmuseums.com. This is all free. This is not free. Um, I'm going to be doing a stand-up event uh, called... What? I'm doing that one tonight. Uh, I'm going to be doing a stand-up event where we improvise. That's Ben Glebe and me. And it's called It's a G Thing. And that's on June 6th. That's D-Day. Uh, you can go to eventbrite.com, the Nowhere Comedy Club. Ben Glebe has been um, such a mensch to me through this whole thing. And Steve Hofstetter as well. All the people at the Nowhere Comedy Club. They're making this happen. They're the ones who are letting us connect the way we are. Um, I think that it's imperative that they, you know, had this together beforehand and that the circumstances at hand have forced them to make something beautiful out of it. And I think they have. I see that Judy Gold's playing. I see my friend Alonzo Bowden's playing. I, I, you know, stand-ups are hams. We're attention-seeking um, slutlets. And we, we, we slut like a cutlet through the night. And we want you to love us. And that's why we're here. And uh, I'm going to do the MVP, uh, whatever it's called, after the meet and greet. <laughs> I don't know why you're the most valuable players, but you are. In any case, um, Glebe and I are doing that on June 6th. And then Dig, I'm doing another stand-up one on... I'm doing the podcast again on June 30th, a month from now. I think I'm also doing June 20th. I don't have it in front of me. Um, I, I believe I'm doing a stand-up show on June 20th. Um, here's something that you might like. PBS has an all-black version of Much Ado About Nothing. And that's pbs.org. And if you write in Much Ado About Nothing, you'll find it. Here, I'll show it to you. Isn't that cool? Um, it's really good. It, it's just worth watching. It combines Shakespeare and uh, African-American actors. And I don't think there can be anything uh, groovier than that. Uh, the Atlanta Solidarity Fund. Let's see what else we've got here. Um... I think I'm going to go to a little music here, and then we're going to get it on with what we get it on with. Do we have some Jimmy Cobb ah. with uh, Sarah Vaughn? We're, we're going to play a little Jimmy Cobb here. First, we're going to talk about, um, there's a, a, a fight for Brianna. Um, Brianna was um, killed by the police a couple of weeks ago in a terrible, terrible massacre. And um, you can go to justiceforbriana.com and that, uh, .org and that's B-R-E-O-N-N-A B-R-E-O-N-N-A I wanted to hip you to that and there's also Fight for Brianna and that's called justiceforbriana.org um, there's so many places you can go to help um, change.org 
Also, Jose Andres has been the most awesome person in the world. I know we've hipped him a lot to you on the show, but there's no uh, question that he's been... Right, he did the event with Kamala, he went to the Navajo Nation, yeah. he posted that history of violence in America. He's done everything. What I wanted to say to you, all y'all was this, and now we're going to play Little Richard at the end, and then we're going to skip right out of here. Jimmy Cobb. All right, I'll play Jimmy Cobb. Jennifer's requested Jim. both. I don't have a Tito. Okay, never mind. Okay, let's see here. What have we got? Uh, what I want to say to you is this. Um, you and I, and uh, everyone we know, are sensitive and beautiful people, as Marvin Gaye said. And you have to understand that this might be a long affair. There's a helicopter over our house right now. I can hear it, even with my things on and my deafness. And you have to understand that um, we're going to uh, we're going to be here after this is over, and we have to move forward. There is a future, and that future doesn't include what's going on right now. It includes the cure for this. It includes moving forward and elevating everyone and giving everyone extra special um, consideration. It includes revitalizing all the small businesses. It includes helping all the people you know. But what it requires is, and I hate to say this, but it's true, a Civil War, World War II dedication to commitment to make this happen. It's not going to be easy and we can't glide. Um, I hate to be FDR on this fucking night, but sometimes that's what it requires. Knowing that the future is going to be difficult and knowing that things aren't going to be easy isn't an admission that you fail. It's knowing and uh, taking on board that you can face what's coming tomorrow because there's so many of us together. Little Richard said so many beautiful things, but here's something he said that I think you're going to love. What? What? Except I fucked it up. I teed it up so hard and then I <laughs> piece of shitted it out. And I'm starting it again and here we go. Fuck you, I'm starting it again. One, two... This has been the smartest man in the world. You have been the smartest crowd in the world. There is nothing that we can't do when we join hands. Do this for Ida Bay Wells. Do this for Maxine Waters. Do this for John Lewis. Do this for everyone who suffered and, 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 and put their life on the line so that you can have the life you had. White, black, brown, Asian, and, and Native American. This is our glory and this is our destiny. One, two, one, two, three. May every page you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that you ring be a cool pop dollar. If you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. Jennifer and I wish you nothing but peace and love.